1: Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Corp is coming in gold and a world record.
0: Ian Corp, the birth of a legend. 458
2: is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world record.
0: First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Morton. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Yeah! Australia have got it! Go! Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund.
1: To the show, it's great to be here for our friends at Tubman Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Today, we're joined by an AFL Hall of Famer, a dual All-Australian who won a premiership and a Best and fairest with the Sydney Swans across a glorious 303-game career. But Michael O'Loughlin's legacy goes well beyond the numbers and the honour roll. The man known as Magic had the rare ability to make the difficult look easy and he had a breathtaking knack of leaving would-be tacklers clutching at thin air and sending Swans fans into delirium. Michael O'Loughlin, hello. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Where do we find you uh, at the moment? It's still in Sydney. Uh, uh, It's got the torrential downpour of rain
2: here at the moment, so uh, we're all stuck inside at at the moment. And um, a couple of the schools have been sort of uh, closed today, so I'm at home babysitting one of them and working from uh, the computer at home.
1: <laughs> Good luck with that, juggle. We're familiar with that now. Mick, you were many things on the football field, which we'll well and truly get to later, but at 44, what about well and truly in retirement? What's keeping you busy? Oh, there's a few things. I'm a business owner, so we own. I own one of the uh, Australia's biggest Indigenous
2: facilities business. Uh, we do bread and butter. as basically we're a cleaning business, and we do a lot of the top-end commercial um, sites around the country the go foundation uh with adam goods is, is certainly something that's um, really near and dear to, to our heart we have now just over 600 uh students in the program which is incredible so that's uh that's another thing and then more recently i guess um just been appointed onto the swans board so again back at uh, Clubland land and looking forward to rolling my sleeves up and getting the work there as well so and a father of three. So uh, it's quite, uh, it's quite busy at the moment.
1: I reckon. Tell us about your decision to to nominate and run for the board, I guess. The club had moved to increase its size from nine to 10 and, and you wanted to be on it. Why was that, Mick? Oh, look, I I think I, I, to tell you the truth, I've, Spent uh, 25 years in
2: Sydney now. My son's in the Swans Academy. I was a, an, an ex-coach of the academy, so I love the program and, and what that's, that's providing young um, kids from New South Wales. But also, you know, I, I'm a diehard red and white person, so spent half my life here. And um, I think being able to have that decision and that opportunity to, to, to get on the board and, and be a part of Clubland again is, is, is one that I couldn't pass up. You know, I know the, the, the coaching staff and a lot of the administration... I mentioned the Go Foundation, we do run that out of the Sydney Swans Footy Club. Mm. So I'm very familiar with what's, uh, what's happening in sort of the day-to-day runnings of the place. But I just thought it was a unique opportunity to be a part of. And, um, you know, I, I love this place you know, like it's my own family. And it's, uh, it's been um, an amazing journey for me to, to be a part of that.
1: And just with the board, Mick, I know your motivation isn't just, I guess, to provide the club with, you know, an Indigenous voice at the top level. But you've always been relatively vocal, haven't you, on the, I guess, the underrepresentation of Indigenous people as coaches and administrators at AFL clubs?
2: Yeah, look, uh, I think there are an amazing opportunity for our people to get involved more at Clubland. And I love the opportunity that the Swans have provided me as a 17-year-old to retirement, to coaching the academy and now to be a part of board being on the board um you know I, I did mention that you know owning a business and, and and obviously running one of the the biggest indigenous cleaning companies in Australia is one that's you know takes a, a lot of hard work something that I've had great mentors like I did at football to be able to, to show me the ropes I guess in the business world so that's been I've been doing that now for the last six or seven years, and it's something that I'm that I'm really proud of, being you know the first uh, business owner in my in my family, but also making sure that that's a success. And um, we employ over a couple of hundred people, and um, it's it's gone from strength to strength. And I think now you know with sort of that football now that I've sort of had over the, um, and been able to learn at a, at a really amazing club, it's something that I've, I was really keen to do.
1: And that's ARA, Indigenous Services, of course, that, that you mentioned that um, yep. is a big-time employer of Indigenous people as well. Hey, how actively, um, Mick, did you follow the recent events at Collingwood, you know, specifically the commission to, of and the reaction to the Do Better report?
2: Oh, incredible. Um, you know, I, I take my hat off her, Jodie Sizer, and, and what she's been able to... To, to bring to Collingwood, and I think, um, you know, with Larissa and, and, and the team that uh, has actually done the report to, to to all everyone that's been involved, I think that's just a great thing for football. And I reckon, you know, some hard truth. It's nothing like being stung between the eyeballs to be able to go, okay, you guys, sometimes you get ahead of yourself, and we did that as footy players, and you think you're going, okay, but it's not till someone actually pulls you aside and say hey, mate, I don't think you're working hard enough and I think you can do better. To have someone like that, I'm really familiar with those types of conversations and mm. I think the general public, to be able to be have all that information being gathered and, and obviously put to the, the club and the board um, it was a real eye, and um, I think good things can come with it, but it's nothing like being told some home truths to, to really put you back on the right path.
1: Yeah, now you mentioned you, your good mate and your cousin Adam Goods earlier and the Go Foundation, that of course you, you run out of the SCG there, but aren't you two making an appearance at the Sydney Writers Festival next month? Is that on next month?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have <laughs> done your homework. Look, it's uh, the business, our business, ARA. We're, we're a partner of the Sydney Writers Festival. Both Adam and I are very big advocates for, for education and making sure that our kids get opportunities to go. To, to go to schools and not miss out on excursions and and have the right tools to complete their education so that is a a really big one and and this opportunity again presented itself like i guess like they do over the course of your retirement things do pop up and you get an opportunity to be involved, and this one's a really exciting one.
1: Because you did go into the book game with Goodsy, didn't you? What was it called? <laughs> Kicking goals a few years ago, twenty sixteen, I think. Yeah, it
2: was. yeah, that was great. One of our Go Foundation ambassadors, Dr. Anita Heiss, sat us down, and we went through, you know, our upbringing and and uh, you know, I guess what we mean to each other. I guess and the journey from becoming a seventeen year old, you know, just left high school, I guess, and being able to, to walk into a, a club like the Sydney Swans and all of a sudden, you're training with men. How do you deal with the homesickness? How do you deal with not being up to scratch in terms of the fitness and the strength and, the, I guess, the mental application that you need to survive at AFL Land? It is, it is tough, so we're able to have a bit of a bit of a laugh about that as well, um, but I thought she did it in a great way, and that's in a lot of schools at the moment, which we're really proud of.
1: Yeah, so speaking of journeys, there's another O'Loughlin on his own journey at the moment. It's your young nephew Blaine, of course, who has some big dreams much like you did. He's 18. He's eligible to be drafted out of South Australia at the end of this year, of course. So what advice did you, or have you been able to to impart on young Blaine, Mick? Yeah, I've spoken to him a
2: few times, and, and obviously his parents I'm really tight with. Look, he's got tremendous talent. Uh, I've only seen a, a couple of games, but what I'm hearing that he's got um, he's got some of the tools that you need to succeed, and I think for me it's always been about making sure that you're doing everything possible to, to, to succeed, and and all you can do is put the best foot forward and do the training, listen to the to the right people. Education is is the absolute key to unlocking the world, I think, and making sure he's doing well at school. So those types of think conversations that we've had also about his fitness base, and you need to be be able to cover the ground and survive at AFL land and, and also to be able to execute under the pressure. So all these little things, I, I think, um, you know, without sort of stepping on his toes too much, it's mm-hmm. just a, it's just about that investment in yourself um, and what it takes to, to survive at AFL level is really tough. And he could do all these things really, really well and still not get the opportunity to, to, to get drafted. And um, But in the end, I think it's always about looking yourself in the mirror and saying, hey, have I done everything possible to try to get there? And, and, and hopefully he has. And um, you know those are the, uh, the, the things that we potentially, uh, that we do talk about um, a lot with him and his parents.
1: You're listening to this is your sporting life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next, Mickey O's roller coaster start to life in footy's fast lane.
0: You're listening to this is your sporting life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
1: Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with Sydney Swans legend Michael O'Loughlin. Well Mick, you're born in Adelaide, February 20, 1977 and you grew up surrounded by a big extended family, but what what was childhood like for you?
2: Oh look, incredible. Um, uh, Grew up Playing at the Silvering North Football Club, where the great Gavin Wanganeen was uh, was everyone's idol, and we grew up watching Gav. Bond Boys were were another part of that, and uh, they're all older than us. So big Indigenous community. Twenty minutes. North of Adelaide, great community football club, the Southern North Hawks, and it's one of those things that you, you did every day, all day. Footy to school, you bounced on the way home, and then you went to training, and then you kicked it after training. So it was brilliant. wouldn't change anything. You are a big Carlton fan, weren't you? Oh, massive Carlton fan. I've spoken about this a couple of times. You grew up, uh, they, they showed a few games back in those days. Carlton were always on television, mainly in South Australia. Due to the Car- that Carlton were a strong football club, but also David Kernahan, Craig Bradley, Mark Naley Eventually, my, my you know my cousin Troy Bond got drafted to the Carlton Footy Club, so I naturally followed that team, and they were successful, in Robert Walls and and, and whatnot. So I, I just really enjoyed and David Parkin obviously, and really enjoyed watching their 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 football and and, and their players, obviously with a lot of South Australians in it.
1: So Mick, the 1994 National Draft, of which of course you nominate now, the Brisbane Bears, as they were then, show some interest. The the Demons as well. Now the Blue. Blues really did. In fact, they got specific. They told you, didn't they? They were going to take you at pick 41. You were thrilled with that, with that <laughs> news. Oh, look, I had no idea how the draft worked. And I was lucky to make the South Australian two uh,
2: cup side. I, I think I played okay in maybe one or two games. Showed enough that someone was prepared to take a punt. And it wasn't probably about a month or so after that people were talking. And, and I, again, had the ambition, um, the ambition to, and the desire to play for Ed Carlton or At 8th level. And I got the call, and Shane Sullivan, who, the great Shane Sullivan, who's at Carlton still to this day. And he just said, I'd love to come and meet your parents and have a cup of tea and talk about your future. And he came and that was the first ever AFL person that came to our, to our house. And we had no idea what to expect. Mum made him a cup of tea. We spoke. I think it went well. And it, at the end of it, he just said, look, uh, I'm really keen, Mick. I've been watching you for a little little while. Our reports are coming back saying that you can play. But And it was just, I was surprised. I had no idea that I was what they were looking for or um, that anyone was actually interested. I was sort of battling at under-17 level in, in South Australia at centrals and he he left and said, oh look, we've got the draft coming up in, a, in another couple of months and we think if you're still around, we're going to take you at pick 41. I don't, And he said, I don't usually say that, but if you're hanging around still we'll take you. So you can imagine a 17 year old me just doing cart laws after they left in the lounge room and couldn't believe it. We got a couple of other calls, the Brisbane Bears with boots and came around and which is funny, I got off the phone in Kinnear the other day and he's now the swan obviously list manager and and, and has done so for a long time and an incredible man, Kinnear. And he was very keen. I thought it was either Carlton or Brisbane Bears. And then I think the Swannies obviously popped around and I didn't really show too much interest in the Swannies They had finished bottom, bottom, and they used to show them uh, in Adelaide every Sunday afternoon getting absolutely flogged. And (laughs) I had absolutely no interest in the swanies. I didn't like their colours. I hated their song. It was a real, I had meet and greet, and I couldn't wait for them to leave, to tell you the truth. (laughs) strange how things work out. though. Uh,
1: It is. And and also, you were right under their nose, of course, but the Crows showed some interest too, didn't they? Uh,
2: Yes. Look, uh, the Crows, to them. I think, you know, the Crows were an interesting one. They, they actually didn't come and see me, even though I was up the road. They just sort of sent me a letter. I guess it was more of a courtesy letter to say, hey, thanks, uh, Mick. Uh, you had, a, 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 I guess, an okay year. We've, we've been looking at, yeah, congratulations on the year. And, and can you fill out the, the nomination form, which you used to do back in the old days and mm. send it back to them or send it to the AFL? But the strange thing thing was they forgot to put uh, attach the the nomination form, so my mum and I knew really quickly that that they weren't too interested, and uh, that was really it from the crows. I, I think mum still still got the letter, and, and we have a bit of a chuckle about it every now and then. But again, I reckon probably as a seventeen year old, I was a pretty sort of an unknown player and a bit of a gamble and um you know I wasn't doing too many great things as a 17 year old on the field so I was probably a, more of a punt than anything and you know the Swans end up taking
1: yeah so th- just on that draft night you're waiting you're waiting for pick 41 to roll around I can't imagine yeah. the shock when the Swans pounce at, at pick 40 and for you oh. it was described as devastation is that is that too strong a word nah, no no that, that was the exact feeling I you know pick 41 I had no idea
2: what the Swans picks were. I did not pay any attention apart from I knew Shannon Grant and Anthony Rocker were drafted earlier and it got to the sort of the 30s and I thought wow, okay, the, the clubs that came and visited me, they, I, don't, I don't even know when their drafts are, but uh, draft picks were. But I knew Carlton's were at 41 so I was just counting the, the, the picks down and I was crossing you know, everything to, to make sure that they were going to yell my name out at, um, at pick 41. And, then, you know, I, I'm still not too sure who they took because I was in just, I was devastated. And when pick 40 came, the Sydney Swans read my name out. I, I sort of went, yes. And then I went, oh, shit, it's the Swans. And I knew they finished bottom, bottom, second, bottom, bottom. I think it was leading up to the, the, the 94 draft. I don't know what, I think they finished second, bottom, 94. I'm not too sure. I think they finished. Bottom. Um, oh, they, yeah. they finished. They finished bottom. And they, when they called my name, I was. My mum was like doing cartwheels because, you know, mum raised six kids, um, and automatically she knew that was one less mouse she had to feed. So she was packing my bags as soon as my name was read out. But she saw. She read the play beautifully, mum. She. She knew this was a, a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I had to go. And I was very hesitant; didn't want to leave. I was like, "No, no." And she was like, "Why?" And I'm like, "They're terrible. They've finished the bottom, and 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 basically a comeback was well. At least you'll get a game. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might get a look in early. She read it beautifully, as as she always does. And you know, I was on a plane two weeks later on, and in Sydney, and and that was it.
1: Yeah, so to the big smoke in every sense at 17, I mean, and homesickness was a, a real issue for you, wasn't it, Mick? I mean, how many times were you calling home to say, that's it, I'm coming back?
2: Oh, twice twice a day, one at home, so the phone bill at home, I had no money uh, in our unit with, uh, at Ramwick and I lived with the great Matthew Nix, who's now the head coach of the Swans and uh, the coach of the uh, the Adelaide Crows who had a great win on the weekend. He was like a big brother to me and Simon Arnold, and I was the youngest. So in the in the right next to the Gay Waterhouse um, stables. Mm-hmm. Uh, ramwick Racecourse and uh, the boys looked after me and phone calls every day, one at home in Ramwick and, and the other one in um, at, the, at the footy club. So the phone bills got really, really high. And in the end, my mum just said, look, mate, you've got to stop calling, you've got to get on with what you're supposed to be there doing and there's no room for you to come back because I'm now looking after one of your cousins who needs a bed and coincidentally he's in that one. So... Um, <laughs> So that tough love is what I really needed. And, and mum was a, a tough disciplinarian and she just said, look, mate, this is, you'll never get another opportunity like this. There's nothing for you here in Adelaide and you just need to take this with both hands. And I was really lucky that I went to the, the, the Swans. I think nearly every player was from interstate and feeling this, exactly the same way I felt, uh, missing their home missing you know, their, their friends and family. So we had to become each other's best mate in in, the, in a big city, in Australia's biggest city. So yeah. um, that was that was a really big sh- and sharp learning curve for me. And I was just lucky I, I landed with Matty Nix and Simon Arnott, who, as I said, treated me like their little brother and taught me how to do the things you need to do to survive.
1: And your first year, Michael, was also coincidentally the first year of the AFL's, I guess, racial and religious vilification laws when they were first implemented. Yep. What, what do you remember of that time? And were you ever vilified by another player?
2: No, not at AFL level. Certainly at junior level, that happened a lot, and um, you know, I talk a little bit about this mm. when I talk to, to younger kids or at footy young footy teams about, and, and certainly to my to my children and visit the, the communities. I used to fight when I was getting called names, and it wasn't till my mum sort of told me a new one and just said, "Hey, you can't you cannot continue to fight everyone on the field if they start upsetting you, calling your names." So. I learned really early that the best way to, to get under their skin, I guess, was to get the footy, kick goals, and play really well. And so that was that drummed into me early. And what I'd seen on television with Michael Long, Nicky Winmar, then obviously once getting into AFL, into the AFL level, you, you get to meet a lot of the older timers who played before that, and, and to hear the stories and, and the things that they went through just to, you know, to play footy for their clubs. So. And it wasn't sometimes opposition clubs and fans. It was actually sometimes their teammates and and their own fans. So that was a a big eye-opener for me. And, um, you know, I love what the AFL has done. There's still a hell of a lot of work to do. But, um, you know, I think just recently it's now become the Tony Peak rule. Yep. And Tony was a big advocate for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander players and he, he saw something. And, and um, you know, I know Michael Long and he were really, really tight and, and great friends. And Tony was a Swans man and he, he and his family, you know, had a lot to do with both him and Adam, um, myself and Adam, to be able to, to get to know them a lot better. And um, unfortunately, everyone knows now that Tony has passed away. But uh, the Peak rule now in the AFL um, rule book, and it's, I think it's an amazing thing.
1: So we'd spoken a bit about the struggles at the Swans prior to you getting there. In the same year you get there, a guy by the name of Tony Lockett arrives another guy who was pretty handy in his time. Paul Roos arrives. Paul Kelly's already there. Now, there's some big personalities in that locker room, yeah. especially for a 17-year-old first-year player moving from interstate. In fact, I think, Mickey, weren't you Roosie's go-to babysitter early on? <laughs>
2: yeah, geez, you've done some work. So Yeah, we lived around the corner from Roosie, and, and Roosie is one of my closest closest friends. Obviously, he was our coach as well, but I was one of those guys in that um, in the 05 Premiership team that actually played with Roosie, and I got to know Roosie really, really well. Him and his family babysitter babysat his kids. And if you're listening, Rusey still owes me 50 bucks for uh, babysitting. He's he's, he's a bit tight with the money, So I was going to ask if he paid well. Clearly not. (laughs) No, he's he's, he's one of the absolute... Him and his wife, Tammy, are just two of the most absolute beautiful people you've met along um, uh, the journey. Certainly um, as a football uh, player, personality, and and obviously a coach, was just incredible at all. At all three of those things. So we were very lucky to, to have Plugger and, and, and Aruzi join the footy club, even though they were sort of coming out towards the end of their careers they were they were like you know the third or fourth fifth coaches out on the field and as a young guy I was just almost shut up listen and, and do the work that's required so no nah, it was brilliant I, I just got there timing was brilliant
1: yeah and just speaking of coaches the man who actually was the coach was uh was pretty well known as well <laughs> Ronald Dale yeah. Barassi
2: nonetheless yeah look and um I'd heard so much and, and watched all those those videotapes remember the, the electrifying 80s and the sensational 70s and watching those as a kid was just wow this is incredible and and then all of a sudden I'm getting coached by probably the, the one bloke that was on them the most and that was Ron Brassi. and also there at that time was Damien Drummond and, and the great Dennis Carroll and they were just fantastic so they took a lot of the training drills and then Brassy was this incredible figure and um he you know he didn't he didn't remember my name when I first got there, he was calling me Martin O'Loughlin instead of Michael O'Loughlin, and but I didn't, I, I didn't correct him. That's for sure. And you know, I was lucky to get some games early, and I so much in that space. I only had him for the one year, but he, what he did for Sydney and and being able to have that influence to bring Rusey and and, and to bring Tony Lockett along with you know the, the recruiting guys that did an incredible job to be able to do that as well. Rob Snowden uh, and the great Ron uh, Ron Joseph were instrumental in getting those types of players. Then you had a sort of a core group of younger players, and then you. Had had those guys in the middle of their uh, careers like the Paul Kellys, Creswell, Dunkley the older guys as well as Mark Bays and and Derek Kickett so there was a great little sort of feeling around the club that we can potentially do some some good things and then obviously that 95 year was brilliant, we just missed the finals and the first time there was some, uh, for a long time that there was some sunshine at the end for the Swans
1: You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives, visit tobinbrothers.com.au Well if 1995 was a whirlwind start to AFL life for Michael O'Loughlin, things really take flight in 1996 we'll talk about that next
0: you're listening to this is your sporting life with sam edmund for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives welcome back to this is your sporting life for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives
1: Enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with one of the most gifted forwards in VFL, AFL history, former Sydney Swans champ, Michael O'Loughlin. Michael, playing alongside Plugger Lockett, obviously the goal-kicking record holder, and for, for some of us, the best to ever do it. What was it like playing alongside Plugger in that forward 50 at the Swans?
2: Oh, look, it, I mean, intimidating. It gave me confidence. It gave it gave everyone a you know a, a, an extra spring in their step, I guess. Um, he was just an incredible player. He's probably the only player that that, that I've played with and, and and seen that says, you know, in the blink of an eye, just he, it's almost like he makes his mind up and says, Okay, I've had enough of this. You guys just not start kicking to my advantage and, and give me a crack at the footy and I'll win the game for you. <laughs> it was yeah. it was incredible, yeah, to watch and, and obviously um his kicking technique and, and and everything he did at at training was brilliant. And I remember he used to have sort of arguments with Barassi and 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 Rodney Eade, um, about staying on the track because he wanted to train and he wanted to be that he didn't want to be that 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 player that came in one year and and you know sat and watched training. He he wanted to be a part of it. And I think he um he, uh, the arguments and and sort of the, um that he had with Rodney were sort of legendary because he would go okay. Rodney would sort of try to kick him off to save him for the weekend, so he can kick us five or six. And Pluggy would go, "No, no, training's still going. I'm, I'm like, okay. Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good." So, um, and they had some heated arguments, and and the rest of us will sort of just sit back and watch it. But um, and then it came to game day, and, and then obviously he just produced, and to be able to to sit in the pocket and watch him do his thing was was unbelievable, and then. He kicked his hundreds and people run on the field, so he will be a part of that.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and then he's kicked the the, the magical number that uh, you know, one thousand three hundred, and that just went crazy. I've never seen Sydney go like that um, since. Um, I guess probably the, the only thing that really springs to mind is when Nick Davis kicked those four goals against Geelong in the in the final. Um, as, as as loud as I've ever seen the or heard the SCG.
1: Well, gee, it was pretty loud on Prelim Final Night '96, and the vision of him kicking that post siren behind <laughs> to beat the Bombers to send the Swans into the Grand Final that will live on forever. But one unmissable element of it, Mick, is that you leap on him. You leap on him first. Now you're yeah. 19 <laughs> years of age. You're screaming. I just, what could, what, what's your memory of that?
2: Oh, it's, you can remember? I mean, like a year before that, I was playing at uh, Central districts, and if I wasn't getting a game there, I was playing at Salisbury North, and and you know, there'd be you know, just the parents would be in the stands, and then all of a sudden, you're playing next to the greatest goal kicker that's ever played, slash player that's ever played, and you're next to him and he's kicking the point that gets us into the grand final. The Swans hadn't, you know, we've had all these amazing players, Brownlow medalists. I think we've got the most in VFL, AFL history, but we've got little success as, as a team. So premiership is what you play footy for, and Plagueus got us there, and um, I jump on him. The, the rest of the team—if you ever see the footage, the behind the gold footage is brilliant. And I, I jump on him. I, I'm carrying on, and I'm yelling in his ear, We're, "We've made it! We're in the grand final!" And, and Plugus going, "Can you get the F off me? I've got a sore because he had a sore grind, yeah. it was like." And I'm sort of going, "Oh, sorry, sorry." And by that stage, everyone's piled on, and. and Bloody, you know, here I am jumping on him with the enthusiasm of a, of a teenager. And, and um, it's, you know, I've almost hurt the greatest goal kicker of all time. <laughs> and we're going to a granny the next week. So, yeah, that was just, um, you know, as an 18, 19-year-old boy, that was, it was magical.
1: It's amazing, isn't it, to think that, as we say, in 94, the, the Swans finished last. Two years later, you're part of a side going to a grand final yeah. after finishing the home and away season atop the ladder. I mean, what, what clicked that year, Mick, do you remember?
2: I think you have the calibre of players. Pluggy Kicks 100 that year. Um, Players are having great years. So I think uh, Paul Kelly won the Brownlow the year before, but the consistency of of his um, output was was just inspiring to the rest of us. Guys who had been at Sydney in those losing years had found a spring in their step as well. Uh, Young players were getting game time. So, I don't know, perfect storm. It was Mm. just really... um, um, things were coming together. We were looking um really good off field in terms of our um sponsorships and, and, and commitments from teams. So Plugger bought a lot and Ruzy bought a lot. Um and then Rodney Eid came up with some really great things. And Rocket was a really great coach for me in those early days and um he you know, he was he was ruthless but he was I found that um he he left you with Know in certain terms that where you stood in terms of your preparation and, and, and your output on, on game day and during training. So that discipline and professionalism that was, that was maybe lacking before we all got there, you um, know, can see it sort of turning, but there was a really enjoyable place to be around. And, um, we were able to have some
1: success. Jeez, a fair old build-up to this game too, wasn't it, Mick? So obviously the Swans are playing <laughs> in a grand final for the first time since relocating from South Melbourne. It's the Swans' first appearance in a premiership decider since they lost the 1945 VFL grand final. And then the lead-up to the game during the week was dominated, of course, by the tribunal and ultimately the Supreme Court injunction that the Swans had took out for your teammate Andrew Dunkley. I mean, if your head was going to be turned as a 19-year-old, <laughs> there were distractions galore. Oh, do
2: you know what? Like, I think it's that, that. Yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, it was a big, it was a big week. But I, I thought this happened every year, and and you sort of become it just became natural, I think. And I, I think that enthusiasm as young people, we didn't really sort of think about the, especially the younger players, myself, Shannon Grant, um, et cetera It was just one of those things that you that just happened, and you just thought, okay, this must be part of Grand Final week. But it's not till you sort of get some wisdom and, and experience behind you that you know it's not. And um, you know, we. The, the hoopla, and, and I couldn't believe it. We had, we never used to get people to come to training to watch us train. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there was about five hundred to six hundred people watching us train, and I, we thought that was unbelievable. And, and then it sort of, you know, it, you, the, the television, um, the news reports would sort of fire back to Sydney from Melbourne, and all of a sudden, there's thousands and thousands watching North Melbourne train. And uh, you know, in recent years, the Collingwood when they get eight to ten thousand watching them train, it was we were we were quite happy with the, the mm-hmm. four, five 600 people that were coming to watch us. Um, but yeah, it's exciting times. We went in full of confidence, and um, you know we started the game really well. unfortunately, yeah. we couldn't couldn't get the chocolates.
1: Yeah, well, you led by three goals at quarter time. I was going to ask you about your memories of the the game itself. They they uh, I think they drew level or thereabouts at half time and, and run over you in the in the second half. But what sort of disappointment lingered lingered with you as a as a teenager on the back of that? Oh, look,
2: I can't, you can't remember too much of the game so so, so long ago now. But I think. They're always tough to watch. And, and I can honestly say I never watched the, the losing grand finals that I've been a part of. Um, but I think after the game, I do remember seeing a lot of the older players crying and, and, and really upset about the result. And I didn't think too much of it because I thought we'd be back there the next year. And obviously, it took us a long, long time to do that. Uh, I, I I understood that as, a, as I got older and more experienced. So that was really a big eye-opener. Um, as a young, dumb, you know, up-and-coming player, I thought, well... You know, don't be too sad because we'll be back next year. So obviously, it didn't happen. So that, those are the things that I took away and, and made me a little bit more hungry, I guess, going forward. And, and I thought in '98 we had a really good team, played, had kicked another hundred. I think we were playing really good footy, and, and we went down in the finals. And I thought that was a really good team that we could that was better than '96 that we could probably you know go up go to the grand final and win it. And yet we didn't make it, and it wasn't until 2005, obviously.
1: Yeah, and on the back of that 96 disappointment, in the years to come, I was going to ask if you felt like that was the period where you played some of the best football of your career. Obviously, All-Australian, 97, 2000. 98, you were the club best and fairest. Leading goal kicker in 2000 and 2001. I mean, mentally, at this point in your career, do you go out there thinking, if I want my best, no one can go with me here?
2: Yeah, look, I think you have those periods as players where you put all the all the effort and work in and you're, you're striving to be, you know and Rodney Aeg was was instrumental in that early and he just said do you want to be a good player do you want to be a great player and he goes I think you can be a great player but you need you need to get more disciplined. you need to be this you've got to treat this thing as more um, as a, as your um, number one priority and I think that was um, drummed into me really early and I was able to sort of read the play a little bit and and, and run with it so that was great and had great role models as well um, with Paul Kelly and and and, and, and the guys so absolutely and then I think probably gets to that 2000 one or two years where I started my first time my career sustaining injuries to my knees and my legs so but I think the beauty of that moving forward and obviously Rodney had sort of left at that point and Paul Ruse had taken over and, and Rusey just said hey look you're a different player than what you were but you need to to understand that and, and realize that we need you to become a more stay-at-home player and and forget going into the midfield where I sort of Sort of thought if I can get over my knee injuries and, and whatnot, I could go back into the midfield. But we had a guy called Adam Goods who was up and coming, Um we had Brett Kirk who was just starting to finally hit his straps and, and, and have more confidence in himself. Paul Williams had joined the, the team, so uh, Ruzzi thought that I could potentially make it just a more of a one two punch with another great player, Barry Hall, in our forward line, become that sort of permanent, um, that permanent football, uh, forward. And you know, Roosie. Unbelievably smart, articulate, and made me believe that as well. And um, bought into this, we all bought into his system. And, you know, ever since then, the Swans have really, you know, not, I don't know how many times we've missed the finals, but I think it's kept us in good stead.
1: We're talking to Michael O'Loughlin on This Is Your Sporting Life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Up next, let's talk about 2005, shall we?
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Former Sydney Swans superstar Michael O'Loughlin is our guest today. Well, Mick, you touched on it before the break, but the partnership you're able to form with Barry Hall. I mean, from the outside looking in, you would appear away from the game to be polar opposites, how did you make it click so seamlessly on the field? Oh, I think
2: the, the hours and hours of practice and, and spending some time with, with players no doubt helps with that. But I think we were on the same, the same level where we knew we could help each other uh, to become better. Um, he had got a fresh start after leaving St Kilda. Um, I was coming back from injuries and I hadn't done too much training, but I'd done a lot of boxing and a, and a, and a lot of the, the gym work with Barry. Down in the dungeon, we used to call it. It was just a, a you know a place, a sweat box, where you got to work. If you couldn't run, you actually trained twice as hard down in the, in the sweatbox. And, and so we got to know each other quite quite well. And Ruzi was fantastic at at really setting the scene in terms of players. Each and every one of us play our role. Together, we will we'll, we'll be successful. So he was able to do that and and make us believe it. And I think that's Ruzi's greatest strength. I think getting people to. Uh, Believe in themselves, but also believe in the system and then and then going out and executing and and practicing it over and over and over again So just all of a sudden, you know, if you're waking up in the middle of your sleep, you're talking about uh, Ford blocks and and where he set up so it's quite funny when, when you talk about it now But those were the things that we just kept it really really simple and Ruzi implemented a system where he thought everyone doesn't matter what your ability, whether you were the, the best kick in the team in, in Nick Davis or the toughest uh, defender in Leo or Cray playing on, it was one of those, you had a, an appetite for work. I think um, a care factor about your teammates and the football club, you could play on this, you could get a game at the Sydney Swans. And I think that's where, that's why the footy club is so special and, and hasn't missed too many final series and, and, and had really quality people come through the, the, the organization. So that was, that was the beauty of playing at the Swans and I, I really enjoyed that. And I, and I wholeheartedly believe and everything that Rusey was preaching. So it was, it was amazing.
1: So by 2005, you're the only player remaining from the 96 grand final defeat. What were you able to take with you from that experience nearly a decade earlier that helped you here? You know, given the sense of history, had obviously only grown, obviously, around the club and perhaps even threatened to become a burden for some players. What the change in your mindset from a grand final in 05 as a as an elder statesman of the game, Mick, compared to a young whippersnapper in 96?
2: Yeah, I, I think it,
1: um, it was so long ago um, and, and I just remember being
2: um, just uh, familiar with the final series more than anything mm. um, and then going into actually getting to the sort of the big dance I guess trying to offer as much advice as I could but I think we were young um, and, and really we believed in the system that Rosie had implemented along with Ross Lyon and, and, and John Longmore and the guys it was just having that real utter belief that we could actually execute on game day. And, and we knew really early, uh, as early as Monday, Tuesday, if it was going to be West, that West Coast, we actually knew what kind of game it was going to be, what we were going to be in for. <laughs> I think the Swans and the the the, the Eagles had Evan games decided by 10 points or less. So that's an incredible stat. Straight away, we, we, we knew what we were expecting from them. They probably they did the same thing. And, and then obviously we go out and knew it was going to be tight. And then, uh, you know, we, we, we get the chocolates in the end, and that was a huge relief um, for, for for our football club. We hadn't had too much success, 70-odd years, and then finally get the big one. Uh, that was amazing. Oh, yeah, We bring I, the Cup back to South Melbourne and then obviously to Sydney and our fans. And I think long-suffering suffer, fans, I always sort of say like it's the People's Cup because people kept paying their memberships. They kept on supporting from the South Melbourne days to you know, very hesitant to get to Sydney and then relocate and still follow the team was just amazing. And then to be able to win it and present it back to the guys at South Melbourne, then take it to Sydney was was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it was a hugely emotional day, that one. 72-year premiership drought. Well, people just just remember the tears everywhere, Mick. I mean, people were just crying everywhere uh, for all the reasons you just mentioned, you know, the tortured history of the club from South Melbourne, the hard years in Sydney. I mean, it must have been an enormous celebration. Oh,
2: look, people got to remember, I think, like I mean the, 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 those teams that have been formed so long ago you know our footy club's 100 I think it's 140 odd years of age I mean, that's an incredible statistic we've nearly been extinct that many times and people are dipped in their own pockets to help us stay alive and that's the one thing that I really love about being a Swans player the history of our football club our great players what we've gone through the people who have kept us alive I really I, I, I'm a like I really love that part of the of history for us. We're a team that there's no bullshit about us. We we get players in. We, we think we've got a system that trains them the right way that they become better people as well as better footy players. And I think um, you know if you're an 18 year old kid and you, and you, and that's your son that's getting drafted by the Swans, you'd be pretty proud and pretty happy to send him there. Whereas the old days, if you got drafted to the Swans, people were reluctant to send their kids there, finishing in the bottom. They don't know if they're getting paid their, their their match payments on the month. You listen to some of the old timers talk. You know, I can call them old-timers because I feel like one myself now. (laughs) But you listen to the past players talk about, you know, the flying up to Melbourne and training and putting the car lights on so they can train at night time after work. And it's incredible. It is incredible. So we talk about the successful era of the Swans, but those hard years really made us. And I, I love... Um, the part that John Longmire and the team now that they invite all old, the older players to come back and be a part of the success now because you know it's part of the fabric part of the the swan's quilt so to speak uh, and I love that about our footy club.
1: Well you had one of the best policies going around Mick back in your day didn't you the the famous one the no dickhead policy. <laughs> yeah uh, you know like like
2: every rule is an exception a few of us go under the radar and <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but it's. I think in the end, yeah, yeah. so much uh, information about young players coming through to footy clubs now, they watch, you know, you don't have to get in your car and drive 300 kilometres to watch a kid out in the bush because someone's already there taking notes or filming it and they send it back to the recruiting manager and he, he can have a look so he can actually cast his eye over a thousand kids and they're always hard to do because they're, they're fortune tellers almost, is this kid going to be good with a lot, a bit of training a lot of discipline and that guidance that's needed to succeed and in the right environment and that's hard and they're worth the wait and gold really good recruiting managers and they do an amazing job but in the end yeah, you're watching so much film and there's you're comparing one 18-year-old to another to another to another and in the end I think Ruzi and the, and the and the recruiting staff just said okay who's the best kid out of these five that we all like and it's quite damned out I guess and um, you can actually say well no <laughs> the kid's a little bit of a rat bag rat bag rat bag this kid is just a really solid, solid citizen and we'll, continue, we'll play 200 games for the footy club and it's in the end it becomes a, a pretty easy decision for the footy club to
1: make Mick your 2006 final series was immense four goals in the one-point qualifying final win over West Coast, another four in the prelim win over Frio, and three in the grand final against West Coast. Now, how much did 06 jar for you after the success of 2005, a really good final series? And I'm sure that the confidence levels must have been through the roof. How did 06 hit you and the group after going down uh, to West Coast?
2: Oh, look, that's still tough to talk about. One point in a grand final. I mean, a draw and and i, was, I witnessed witness Collingwood have been killed and St Kilda that that would have been tough to go and do it all over again but you've got a chance to do it all over again if that makes sense to lose by point is devastating and I haven't watched the game to uh, to 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 assess and none of the teammates we re- that we played that day really talk about it um only from what I can remember and it's not very much nowadays but yeah that's a that's a tough one to take one point um if we start, I know, I know if we had started well, we would have, we would have, we would have won, but we didn't. So there's, I took my hat to West Coast. We, again, both teams were prepared, knew each other exactly, very intimately, and how what kind of style of game it was going to be. So we knew what we were expecting. We just didn't, we didn't uh, adapt quickly enough. And um, but yeah, always <laughs> someone always brings it up when you when you're out and about or or you do your travels to Perth. Oh, yeah. Mickey, yo, what about that one point win? And, and I'm like, yeah, mate, thanks for bringing that up, mate. <laughs>
1: <Sorry>. <laughs> Apologies. I can't imagine the list of what ifs, of course, with that sort of result, yeah. but they just go on and on and on. And I, Absolutely. Before I let you go, Mick, I really wanted to ask you about the Indigenous team of the century. You were named as starting full forward in that team in 2005. Now, I read out some of your honours off the top of the show, which go on and on, but how big was this for you? I mean, was this at the very top of what you hold most oh, dear in your career?
2: Yeah, look, I, it was amazing to be a part of and it obviously got slotted into, into full forward, which I think now if they were to pick it, I'd probably have to move over for a bloke called <laughs> Buddy Franklin, um, who I think is just one of the greatest to, to ever put the boots on. And, um, and there's a few others who I could probably name again, who would probably be a part of that team. And um, But at the time, um, it was incredible. I had a lot of the posters of the players that were in that team on the wall as a kid growing up. Gavin Langanine, I've already mentioned, but Gil, I had Nicky Wimar and I had uh, Longy. Um, and then you hear stories about the older players, Polly Farmers and Barry Cables, et cetera. So that was, that was incredible. That was an amazing day. To be a part of, I think it was at the Crown, if I can remember, um, and it was, you know, football ro- royalty was sitting in the in the in the room. Um, a lot of people were a part of it that day. I knew it was a massive, um, a, a ma- I knew it was a significant achievement, and it probably didn't dawn on me till a few more years later. Um, but to be in there with my great mate Adam Goods, um, who at I think he I think he was at centre half. Back, I think he's named in the in the team, mm. in the back lines. Which um, um, you know, we know what kind of a player Adam ended up turning out to be. So, yeah, huge, mate, really huge. And if you go to Aboriginal communities around the country, you know that poster is sitting in the in the in the in the head office or in the school. So you know, look, it's 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 really great. I, I'm really proud of that of that achievement, and I think um, my people back home all the. Narunga, Nutterjury and people back home in in, in Adelaide uh, are very proud of that as well.
1: No, so they should be. Mickey, it's been great to catch up today. I mean, you are an icon of the game. Your skill was sublime, but I reckon the fact you did it hard early, stuck it out, serves as living proof that resilience and determination have an enormous role in making dreams come true. Well done on all you achieved. Best of luck with what still lies ahead, of course. And, and thanks so much for joining us.
2: No, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Just jump online and you can find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game?